Welcome to More Than a Refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Today we are recording from Astoria, Queens, Bellingham, Washington, and Cincinnati, Ohio. Our guest today is Rye Walker. Rye, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, good to chat with you, JD. Uh, Rye Walker, Cincinnati, CEO of Tembo. Okay, and you're also a coder and an investor. Yes. You must be looking at my LinkedIn profile or my Twitter profile. Well, my my producer's <laughs> notes, really. Uh, uh, before that, we talk yeah. about Timbo, because you know there is interesting things happening there. Talk to me about yeah. how you're a coder and investor. That's a rare breed. Yeah. Well, you know, basically, coders once you make a certain amount of money uh, <laughs> uh, through an exit or whatnot, you get to you have to figure out what to do with your money. So, yeah, I, I had the fortunate experience um, during the pandemic of being uh, a founder of a company called Astronomer that, um, you know, went, raised $300 million uh, during the big hype cycle that we were all just uh, witnessing. Uh, I was able to sell a bunch of my shares in secondary. Um, and uh, yeah, I've always, I always start a company writing code. Um, and then eventually um, you hire people and you don't get to write code anymore. <laughs> and that's, that's uh that's the cycle that I've probably gone through myself, you know, probably ten times in my life now. Where, um, but you know, as of last summer, I was I was like happily full time before founding Tembo. I was working on uh, a side project called OSS Rank, which is basically trying to index all the world's open source projects and the contributors um, and trying to rank them against each other. I came up with an algorithm to do that, and that was. Just a solo project that I did in the Ruby on Rails, you know, just last year. So, who's number one? Oh gosh, in the yeah. ranking, in, not in favoritism, yeah. but in the ranking. Yeah, people. Yeah, people. Uh, yeah, let me see. I'm just gonna pull it up real quick because I don't, I don't have it memorized. <laughs> uh, but there's there are certain projects like this guy named Brian Chan from LifeRay, which I, I don't know if you ever heard of Life LifeRay Portal. I had never heard of it. It's a digital experience platform, a DXP. But this guy has committed to that project 697, well, no, wait, how many times is he? Yeah, 263,000 commits to this project. Can you believe? That That's, a lot. Committed? Yeah. <laughs> That's a so lot. Then, so then the real question is like, is the guy, uh, is it a robot or is it real? You know, I, I don't know. I haven't like investigated everybody to find out if they're humans or a group of humans. But yeah, I mean, uh, that's insane. Uh, <laughs> so that's number one. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say a group of humans. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is there's certain cultures that actually do that, where there's a mm -hmm. single person that is in front, that with a face, but there's a team or 20 people behind them actually doing all the work. Um, that yeah. actually does happen. Well, yeah, I, I agree. Our theme today is Postgres and entrepreneurship. Uh, as I understand it, Tembo has a particular opinion between those two. Um, what do you, uh, talk to me a little bit about that first. About the opinion of, about what we're just basically what we're working on. Yeah. Yeah. What is Timbo? Yeah. You know, how does, yeah. how does that all relate? Yeah. So, I mean, Timbo is a managed Postgres. Uh, I know that there's a hundred other out there already, uh, but uh, actually I think there's a, there's some interesting opportunities still in the market, including, the idea that um, you know we should be able to, I think, install extensions easier and and understand which extensions are 
are um, high quality versus not high quality or well used versus not very well used. Uh, there's not much data around that. And I think what happens is like, if you, if you look at an ex a Postgres extension that is a little bit outside the box, um, it's pretty hard to pick it right now, you know, versus going with a product that is dedicated to the solving that problem, you know, that, that extension solves. For example, let's take, um, you know, a column or table, you know, there's, there's various extensions that allow you to store data in, in Postgres as a column or a column or store. Um, you know, there's a few different variations of it. Uh, someone's forked it, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I'm just going to put my data in Snowflake. They they do columnar data really well, you know, and that's that's what's happening over and over. Um, and I think it'd be kind of fun and a great world where uh, Postgres won more of those competitions against the other uh, data platforms. Uh, if it did that, it's great for me as a developer that I don't have to buy a bunch of tools, you know, to do everything I want to do with my data. So that's kind of like level one of our first mission is like we're building a registry for extensions. We're building a CLI tool to easily install them. We're codifying all the weirdness, you know, that may, that may exist for, to install different extensions on different operating systems. And that's a lot of work, but the benefit to it is at the end of the day, in our platform will have little switches that you can just turn on and turn off to put extensions on or off. Uh, so um, that's kind of the first thing we're working on. And, uh, those are that stuff's already available in our alpha platform. Okay, I've got some thoughts on that, but I want to move down this a little <laughs> bit, and we'll get there. Um, yeah. So we got fundraising and entrepreneurship. We talked about your professional trajectory a little bit already. Um, is there any particular problems that you've like set out to solve? I mean, outside of just scratching the itch kind of thing, because as a coder, you know, technical people tend to do that. They get you know. I got an idea and they spend a weekend and then they move on or they keep running with it, depending on the process. Yeah. Well, as far as in Postgres goes, like I said, I think that um, I just, I just think that the, the modern data stack is a challenge. Uh, it's a lot. You have to build a lot of data pipelines. And so I would just say it's not a small itch that we're trying to scratch. It's a big itch. You know, I, instantly start started with 10 people you know big team raising six and a half million bucks you know and just going at this thing uh, i think it's a i think everything in in postgres is bigger because it's already at at scale you know there's so many users there's so much already been built so um unfortunately you know doing a weekend project in postgres is pretty hard to get noticed yeah that's, that's <laughs> yeah. true yeah yeah so but uh, you know we're we're taking it we're going to take it one step further than that we're we're doing something we're calling stacks right now. But the idea here would be like let's say you're a Postgres consultant you know or, you know I know you are one and I haven't talked to you about this yet but I think it'd be really cool again that if if you're if you have a recipe for how to do a say a read heavy Postgres deployment you know here's how we configure it here's the extensions we want to use um, we we're, we're looking to create a way to codify call it like reusable starting kits, you know, for a Postgres deployment that you could then tailor and tweak. But, um, you know, as you know, like you start with a blank slate. Um, most people start with a blank slate. Again, inside of a consultancy, maybe you guys have, you know, your own internal templating system. But, um, yeah, we think that it would be great if you could, again, if I want to have a data warehouse on Postgres, I shouldn't have to look at all the extensions. I should be able to just go to Tembo and say, Give me data warehousing. We've already 
vetted, written the guides on how to do it. You know, just great documentation, great technology. Uh, the box. It should just work like as if it was a, a product designed for such a thing, you know? And so that's, um, that's kind of like the level two solution we're building on top of the extension. This is why we have to have like the ability to install extensions really easily is because they're just building blocks to me of a higher level solution. Sure. Well, and to, you know, affirm your point, I mean, we've been around for 26 years. We have templates for yeah. everything. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of them, you know, are no longer even relevant for just because of how long we've been around. Um, right. The, you know, it's interesting. You talk about now is Tembo going to be managed only or are people going to be able to like pay, like say, give you, I don't know, nine ninety nine, and they can download a template and install it on yeah. Pro. Yeah. We're going to, my plan is that it'll, you can run it on a single instance as open source, you know, so that it will be, I, you know, our only commercialization will be as a SaaS product, but uh, I think for any idea, you know, to succeed in, inside of an open source ecosystem, the core idea has to be open source um, and it needs to be uh, freely available to, to install, you know, um, for self, self-hosted self people. Um, so it'll, it'll, you know, we, we're going to have stuff that runs on a single instance, but Again, another thing we're trying to do in Tempo is what I'm calling fleet management. So if you have again ten Postgreses, you know, one that's a data where one that's that's masquerading as a data warehouse, one that's a traditional transactional, maybe there's one that's masquerading as a MongoDB, you know, like maybe a Ferret DB or something like that. Um, I think it'd be great to be able to see all those things together as well. So we want to build a view that's across these stacks, across use cases, you know. If you're if you've got excess capacity sitting over in cluster B, why not let me know that so I can go give that that excess capacity to cluster A that's maybe struggling. So, um, yeah. So I just think that there's there's just so much awesome opportunity. There's like a, um, a lot of problems uh, that that haven't really been addressed yet. And so yeah, I mean we're we're we've got a very ambitious roadmap, but uh, so we've got a great team and we're getting on it here in our early days. Well, you know, you hit on a couple things here uh, that aren't, are, you said open source, you said single instance. Mm -hmm. So what if it's, you know, you know, a horizontal partitioning, that's not a single instance. Are you? Um, that's a good question. I think it'll, it'll work for hor uh, like horizontal, like partitions. Yeah, that that's fine too. I, what I'm saying is like, you know, if you have just like two distinct deployments of Postgres, the open source wouldn't necessarily know about each other, whereas our platform's gonna try to fuse that data together into oh, a highest level view. Yeah. Okay. And then you also yeah. said you think that the, at least the core needs to be open source, which for the record, I agree with you. I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on open versus open source, right? Open source uh, is yeah. a real term, trademarked. You can't even say that yes. without it being qualified under their <laughs> licensing. So- yeah. There's others in the in the market in the ecosystem that are like you know we're freely we're purely open but we're not open source. What are your feelings yeah. there? Yeah, I've got I've got strong feelings. Uh, I actually think it's if if you're so I I I'm against the pedantic, you know like if your source code is readable um, and usable by ninety nine point nine percent of people, 
I think that I'm okay with people calling it open source. You know, if they have like the restriction that you're not, you can't make money off of this. That to me doesn't, in my opinion, disqualify it as open source. I know a lot of people feel that way, but like that license is good enough for me. If it's a license that's that's more restrictive than that, um, then then perhaps we're we're getting out of the domain of it's certainly open. I would say it's nearly open source, uh, uh, but uh, our stuff is going to be like Postgres license. We decided normally I would say Apache two license. I'm coming from the Apache world with sure. Apache Airflow, but we're just adopting the Postgres license for everything we do since it's the open version in this ecosystem. So, yeah. Yeah. The interesting issue that I run into is that, you know, because of, you know, my network and also dealing with PostgresConf and all that, I deal with a lot of marketing people and they'll say, well, it's open source. And I'll say, what license? And they'll say, well, it's under such and such a license, which is legally not open source, right? The courts have decided. Um, That being said, I, I find it interesting that the open core or these other pseudo open licenses where they basically say you can do whatever you want with it as long as you don't open a hosting like a SaaS product off of it. And the problem with that is there's a a huge glaring, like there's a cave size hole through that because it's this simple. Let's say Elasticsearch as an example. Okay, I can't open, I can't create a SaaS product but I can still call it managed elastic. And what I do is I say, Rye, you want to run Elasticsearch, great for you. You install it through the AMI in your network, and then you pay us a support contract. Yeah, yeah. Same basic thing, and it's a huge loophole, and I don't think a lot of people are thinking about it, and I don't think that they really, I think that the idea that open source is actually open source scared the hell out of them because they didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah, I think I think like they wouldn't they wouldn't if you were to talk to the CEO of Elastic, they would probably say that's fine, you know. Like, in fact, I don't care if you install it for them because you're basically. I, I think what they they're mostly worried about are the big clouds, you know. That that's right. that's the enemy. Maybe there's a couple of startups that could come off that are trying to you know be a remora off of them that they would like to be able to tell them to to screw off as well, you know. But mostly it's the Amazons of the world, you know, Amazon, Google. Uh, sure. Azure that they, they care the most about, and that's that's what the, that's why I say it's like ninety nine point nine percent of people can use it. It's just just those three organizations are the only ones that you're really trying to prevent. I think it's dumb to do personally. You know, like I think that it's it's dumb to uh, prevent like prevent them from validating your open source project. Uh, we saw this with with Airflow, so we were the first ones to start a managed service at Astronomer. Then Google created one, then Amazon created one, and then Azure has now created one. And all that has done is solidify Airflow as a winner and it helped our business, you know. Sure, we lost a couple of deals here and there or it created friction and sales, but overall, uh, it really hurt our competitors, the other open source projects, you know. So I think there's competition at the open, at the open source layer and at the um, commercial layer and if you can't win the open source layer, you're you got nothing anyway, you know. So, um, well, I, I think don't that, think you should. Sh- yeah, I think you have a good point there. Um, you know, one of the things that the dot org community, PostgreSQL.org, there's a lot in there that get frustrated with, say, an Amazon or a Microsoft, 
um, because they create like RDS, which is a closed source fork. Um, and, you know, the number, let's be very clear, the number one deployed Postgres instance in the world is RDS, hands down. Yeah. It, number one by far. Um, and I think that there's some academics, some pedantics, some old school OGs that really have a problem with that. But in reality, what they should be doing is saying to themselves, holy shit, one of the largest, greatest, biggest companies in the world has validated the work we have done over the last 20 years. Yeah. Right? And yeah. And to be fair, Amazon at this point is actually the fourth largest contributor to the project. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are, uh, well, I'm not going to use RDS. I'm not going to use Amazon. They're just taking, taking, taking. And they literally are. They are the fourth largest contributor to PostgreSQL.org. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're definitely all getting better. Five years ago or eight years ago, it was different. You know, like sure, it, was, it seemed a lot, a lot more like they were just taking and not giving. But um, I think that those companies now recognize that it's good business for them to have a few committers or you know people contributing to the project. Um, well, I think a lot of it is maturity as well, because like you know. I, I had deep conversations with Amazon and with Microsoft in regards to both of these pro this problem and back then and going forward. And the reality is they just didn't, it, it's not that they didn't want to give back. It's a lot of it. They didn't know how to do it without being, you know, offending the community or, you know, making people feel like, oh, the big bad companies coming in, they're going to take over. Or in a lot of instances, especially if you talk about PostgreSQL.org, the process to contribute to PostgreSQL.org is challenging. Yeah. I think old old school. Not, it's not. No, it's not old school. I I was around yeah. in the old school. It's challenging. It's yeah. you know it used to be. I mean, you're talking about a project that there is no way to go and say, hey, these are the the current tasks or tickets or issues, yeah. right? There, there's no, you, you got to go through a mailing list. Nobody reads mailing lists anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a pretty, it's pretty non-transparent. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 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 They don't want to fly. You know, I, I, it was interesting when I learned about how Postgres does it, it was, you know, my, my first reaction was, um, that's not normal, but I actually think that there's some pros to it that if sure. you're, you know, you, you own the code that you commit. So um, if, if we had a bunch of flyby commits in Postgres, like we do in, in Airflow, we have that. Like in Airflow, we actually have many, many contributors. It's wide open. We let people, you know, like we encourage people. But, you know, it's a little different in the sense that we have um, in Airflow, we have a bunch of operators that are open. Like even like the Google operator for Airflow is in the uh, main repo, you know, so. Like you have to let people edit that kind of code. Um, and uh, yeah, especially if the Google people want to maintain it. Great. You know? So, um, but yeah, I think, I think that uh, given the scope of the project, uh, I, I think it's kind of a, a cool variation of, of open source, the way they're doing it in some ways, you know, obviously in some ways it's, it's bad because it's hard to get inside that circle, you know, I'm sure. And people who want to get inside the bar is high, but um, it's, I don't. I think it's kind of interesting, and I'm I'm excited to get closer to it. I'm, we're still pretty far away from it, you know. I'm just kind of like, you got to build some street cred, and then someday we'll have. I haven't had any conversation with any committer yet, you know, but someday I will, you know. 
Well, for me, I mean, let's let's give credit where credit is due. I mean, remarkable code base, very few CVEs that are published, stable. Yeah. It does what it's supposed to do. So it's not that they don't produce a good product. They clearly do because everybody is starting to use it in one shape, one way, shape, or form or other, right? Period. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, if you're someone who's not used to the old school or OG way of doing open source and you're coming in and you're like, hey, and you've got all this passion, there's not a whole lot of onboarding, hand-holding, yeah. newbie guides, you know, it, it, none of that. And I think that it really turns off a lot of opportunity to get people in there with fresh ideas and things that yeah. can be built, you know? Yeah, which which might be the design, you know. Like if you if you've got your plates are full, you know, if you have forty guys with forty people with full plates, and there's not really much room for more stuff on their plate, then you're not really solving a problem by making it ten times easier to throw ideas for what should be on the plate, you know. And I, again, I'm, I'm assuming everyone feels pretty busy inside that core, and they're not like wondering, hoping more ideas would come in from the community, you know. Uh, um, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it used to be that a lot of us didn't get paid to contribute, right? Yeah. Um, but I would say the majority, the by far the majority of hackers and certainly committers, they're all gainfully employed with very nice salaries now. I mean, that's the nature of a mature project. You know, you get compensated for the work that you do. It's no longer a hobby. Yeah. Um, all right. So, hey, before we get a little deeper into this, because there are other options, other opportunities to talk about, I'm kind of curious. I want to bounce back to um, something that's kind of happened as a society, uh, you know, with, with the pandemic, you know, uh, all of our civil liberties were, re you know, revoked and everyone was shoved into a closet and told to work from home. Um, I may have some particularly slanted opinions about this. Uh, not about the work from home, since I've done that since like 2004 or something like that, um, but from the lockdowns. Um, but how do you feel about the ongoing debate? I mean, like, should we work from home? Should it be hybrid? What's the, what's, what do you find as someone who is of my generation in terms of productivity and capabilities of getting things done, all that type of stuff? Yeah, I think that... Um... We, you know, we are a remote first company. Uh, I work out of my house almost all the time. Um, I I think that there's definitely, I, I mean, it's just a, such a different experience. You know, like you could certainly be distracted here. Like I could just go decide to go watch TV. I can go watch a movie right in the middle of the day. And no one's going to know, you know, it, it could be that I'm solving some hugely hard technical problem, or I could be watching a movie. Nobody knows. Uh, but or both, I think that, frankly. You know, or both, yeah, which, yeah, I don't know how people can do that. Like, I can't, <laughs> yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can listen to, like, classical music when I'm doing something, but I, there's words going on. I'm... <laughs> but, uh, no, I think I think that I am in favor of our current system, which, which is hybrid. Um, like, for our company, we're going to get together for a week every quarter, and that's essentially, you know, one-thirteenth of, of our work lives will be spent together. Um, you know, what's the right percentage? Um, I don't think it's a hundred percent. Like you don't want to be in, in, in like contact with your coworkers a hundred percent of the time. Um, so I think, I think that hybrid's good. Um, I think that, uh, I think that asynchronous work is great. You know, like I, I think the way open source projects work are pretty good and, and things get done. Um, 
but you have to have people that are excited and motivated. And so that's, I think the tricky part is you got to just care a little bit more about how people are feeling. Whereas if you have them in your office, they're, they're prisoners, you know, they're either working or hiding in the bathroom and they, uh, you know, it's here. You have to like figure out a way to actually have them work on something that they're interested in engaged in. So um, do you think, think that, that there's see a lot? Yeah. Do you think there's a difference? So your company and you know my company, te- technical companies, right? I think have a, a leg up on this um, by nature of the type of work that we do. But on the other hand, you take someone like a J.P. Morgan, um, or even even an Amazon. Obviously, a lot of people are are giving Amazon a hard time for their back to work uh, policy or back to office policy. Um, but it's my experience, one, it takes a special person to actually be able to stay productive remote, mm-hmm. right? It's really easy. I mean, as, as human beings, most of us are geared to be social animals and it's very, yeah. it can be demoralizing um, to not have that interaction. I mean, I remember, I mean, this was obviously years ago and it's a little personal, but when I got divorced, uh, the custody was 50-50. So there was one week, I mean, two two weeks a month where I was literally alone and I worked mm. from home. Mm. I would go to the store just so someone would say, hi, how are you? Even they don't even, they don't really care. They're just doing their job. But just so I could feel like, okay, I am still human. I'm not a troll, right? <laughs> and I think yeah. that especially with the younger generations, when we're talking about say 22 to 30, 30-ish, right? You know, especially pandemic adults, right? Where they came into an adult adulthood right around the pandemic. I think it might actually be really good to kind of like reintroduce them to society. And one way to do that is through, look, you're coming in, we're doing the meetings, we're doing the marketing sessions, we're doing the idea sessions, the stand-ups, all that type of stuff. I mean, just from a holistic perspective. Yeah, well, I mean, we, so we have an office here in Cincinnati. I just signed a lease on it uh, for the people that are here. You know, they're encouraged to to go. They're not required to go. Um, I don't personally go as much as I should, uh, just because you know, like I said, I I actually feel well. Like today, take today. Here's here's a difference. Like, okay, so Tuesdays for us are internal meeting days at the company, and so that means I meet with all my direct reports, and I meet with once a month, I meet with people who are my direct reports reports, you know, so it's, it's a full day. We have our team meeting on Tuesdays as well. And like, there's no way that the, the product, the productive conversation that happened today um, amongst my team could ever happen inside the office. There's no way that people would be like, there's eight meeting rooms and we're all like, you know, doing all these ones on one-on-ones. You would have like, water cooler talk for sure you know you'd have like you know unimportant conversations happening and and some of our conversations obviously are are just you know like hey how's the weather there blah 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 but um i just don't think that you would have like the intense schedule that this company has on tuesdays for example if we were in the office because it would just look so weird to have like it's it would be like speed dating you know it's like it's kind of sort of what we're doing is we're speed dating and you don't do that in the office you know you just you let osmosis do its job a little bit like oh i go to hear someone else's conversation or get filled in after someone comes out of a meeting um so then you know you take tuesdays and then we also have on wednesdays we have external meetings so if there's interviews like we say like 
do all that stuff on Wednesdays. Maybe you're ha maybe half of your day is ruined by interviews, um, potential hires. So now you got three and a half days of deep work, and I think that's a great ratio. You know, if you think about it that way, like I can give my guys now. Will they use that time for deep work? Who knows? You know, I hope so. But uh, you know, it's it's um, it's possible. You know, and I I think like having three and a half days of deep work in an office is absolutely impossible. You know, even if you put your headphones on, like someone's tapping you on the shoulder, asking you questions, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think actually from that perspective, especially as a technical company, I, I think you're spot yeah. on. I mean, we do something similar, um, but what we do is basically Monday and Fridays are leadership days. So mm -hmm. we don't do call, unless it's an emergency or pre-approved, there are no phone calls for leadership on Mondays and Fridays because it's all about prepping the week and prepping the next week, closing out issues, mm. those types of things so that we can start each week productivity with a productive mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so now let's move on. As a founder, I'm a founder, you're a founder. Um, yeah. We take a slightly different mentality towards founding um, because of my experience when I was just a young lad, uh, hmm. I did get involved with some VC external investors. Uh, this is before Command yeah. Prompt existed, and it really put a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, um, I founded a couple of ISPs back before ISPs were a thing, <laughs> um, and uh, so Command Prompt, you know, we're by far we're like eighty six percent employee owned. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit, you know, cash basis, things like that. Uh, you went a different route. Obviously, it worked out for you. I'm quite happy for you. Uh, but uh, what would be your advice for, you know, people like, I've got an idea. I want to launch it. What's your advice for first-time founders? Yeah. Well, and, I, and, you know, I did services companies, too. You know, back when you were doing an ISP, I was building, you know, a web design company in 95, you know. So, um, yeah, what was interesting, and I don't know how it is today, but, like, back then, it's it's kind of easy to start a services company. However, it's not easy when you have some success, for example, and you need working capital, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I, it was one of the things I learned really quick, really early on, like, if you have a hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue, that's great. Like you've got a company, you've got this, but you need to collect that cash, get it to employees, you know, like it, the ca it's not a perfectly efficient system unless you're able to bill up front, which people do a lot more now. But back in when I used to do it, you know, we were getting paid 30, 60, 90 days after the work was done. Um, and we were doing project billing too, which is just a, the worst idea ever, but you know, Hey, $30,000 will build you a website, you know, half up front sounds good getting the second half sucks, you know? <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, it was, uh, it was like, uh, um, I, I still say like start a services company though, as your first company, because you learn the basics, you know, you learn the basics of, of money. It's, it's like, it's a lot. Well, you don't have to pitch VCs, obviously, you know, you don't have to pitch investors. You don't have to get anyone's permission. Um, you just go and do it. Uh, creating an LLC is, nearly free you know and mm -hmm. um, yeah it's all single single member llc taxes are really simple um so it's it's i, I definitely think that like people should not start with it's have the first company shouldn't try it shouldn't be a venture backed startup but a lot of people are trying to do that um and i think that's uh you know like i wouldn't i wouldn't personally invest in first-time founders like that because 
there's just um, too much to learn. <laughs> like, it's like you're trying to take an accelerated degree, you know, finish a bachelor's degree in a year, you know, it's just too much content, uh, too fast. Um, so, it's yeah, it's, I'm, I'm a big. It's interesting that you say that, uh, one, to start with a services company and two, that you wouldn't necessarily invest in as a first time someone who's a first time founder who hadn't had that experience. Um, I was involved with multiple small businesses before I started Command Prompt. And the reason we started Command Prompt is a service business. And we, we, Command Prompt has kind of floated up and down, right? We've been a product business and a services business, depending on what decade we're dealing with. Um, But we found that services, for us, the, the difficulty with services is exactly what you said. You have a situation where you're literally billing like every 15 minutes. And then once you yeah. get employees, you need to make sure they get paid. And then you end up in this situation where maybe you do have a great idea, but you really don't have any capital to build it out because all your money, it, it's, a, it's a, even if you're profitable, even well profitable like command prompt, you have to have your cash reserves for the lean months, right? Yeah. Whereas with a product, you know, once, even if it only has mild success, you get to kind of ride a, a year of product delivery, right? And you get that profit yeah, out yeah. of it and it kind of builds up your re- your reserves for other things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that's, that's exactly true. And um, like I said, the, the, uh, um, no, I, I still think like it's way more fun for me. Like after doing some services companies, I, I probably won't go back to that ever because once you figure out how to work with VCs and, um, and you have a reputation of having success with them, it's like, it's like a totally different world, you know, to have, uh, that it's, it's like, it's like you're on a bike going downhill, you know, by default rather than uphill by default. And, uh, that's a nice thing to have, you know, definitely. Uh, not to say you're going to win any races or anything like that, because all the startups have cash, you know, and there's always some, there's always a competitor for you. Uh, so everyone's got a downhill race, but, um, I still think like, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun thing to be doing. I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, my last, you know, I started in 2015. It was the first time I did a venture back company. So it's now been eight years of this. So what would, you know, two of my favorite venture capital stories. Um, one is Great Bridge uh, and one is Nautilus. Do you know what Nautilus is? Mm, not, not, not off the top of my head. Okay. So anytime you open, if you if you run Linux as your desktop and you open the file manager, yep. that's Nautilus. Okay. Years and years ago, this was, I don't know how long ago, but it's like 05 or something like that. I'd have to look it up. Basically, they were developing this and the idea was that you would build a store around it, you know, like a Ubuntu store or something like, or like Google app store or whatever. And that's how you, you know, you would interact with Linux and you'd be able to like buy something from this store and download it and run it. Not necessarily a bad idea, except that there's no real way to make money of that. Um, and th- this is something that's always bugged me about certain VCs. Nautilus raised $15 million. Nautilus lost $15 million. They no longer exist. Yeah. How does a VC not see the glaring hole in that <laughs> yeah. business idea? Right? I mean, yeah. the moment Nautilus announced 
this is what we're doing. I'm like, well, shit, there goes 15 million bucks. And yeah. sure enough. Yeah, especially to Linux users, you know. Yeah, that's, that's who don't want to pay for anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah, I, I would say same idea, but with Apple users. Uh, okay, yeah, that's a successful thing, right? Like App Store. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, well, there, there's obviously um, a lot of um, bad VCs, but there's also a lot of bad founders. Um and, then, and, you know, combination of those can make some some bad decisions, obviously. Um, you know, raising money from a VC is a sales process, just like, you know, selling uh, a services contract. Sure. And and you can sell, you know, good salespeople can sell ice to Eskimos, you know. So I'd say that's one of those situations. Like, why would a company that doesn't have Postgres in production buy a service contract for Postgres you know, it's like, I'm sure you've probably sold that before because they're like, we're going to do it, right? <laughs> like, we're going to, we're in a POC, we're going to do this big switchover. And, you know, a year later, they never did it. Like, why, why they buy it, you know? So I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, that there's, they're, they're reaching and uh, who knows? I don't know too much about the VC that made that decision, but they, I mean, again, it, it probably sounded like it probably happened before Apple App Store. And so I'd say they were, Close but no cigar shows the wrong audience. <laughs> well, and that, and you know, it, there is definitely a. Uh, and Apple is a perfect example. Actually, there's definitely an argument for too much too soon. Right. Mm -hmm. Remember the Newton. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. The Newton was a great product. It was just way before its time. Yeah, it may have had an App Store on it too. I don't remember. Yeah. I think you and I would probably had more hair and were a little skinnier. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's bounce back to Postgres here a little bit. Um, you are actually relatively new to Postgres, right? But you've got a lot of open source experience, Airflow, and yeah. Search. Well, I, you know, I would say I've been a Postgres user since I don't know when. You know, like Postgres to me was has been for a long time just the default. Like I'm going to use Postgres. I think that when I started using Ruby on Rails. That's when that happened for me, um, and that was like 2008 or something. You know, so I've been a Postgres user. Um, it was always like SQLite in production, or I'm sorry, SQLite in development for Rails, and then we we just used Postgres on production. And it was sort of because Heroku uh, made Postgres so easy, and and so yeah, I've been a user for a long time. But I, I would say I've been a dumb user in the sense that I just did whatever my OR, I used whatever my ORM right. you know gave me and. Didn't really use any advanced features of Postgres ever. Um, I think that's the default state for most Postgres users. I, again, like we're going to just like take a survey. You know, if you were going to go to random RDS users, for example, and be like, "Are you using advanced features of Postgres?" It's going to be no, 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 no. no. One out of a hundred might say yes. You know. So. Well, and now you've just made every Postgres passionate person cry. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, don't you think, though? Don't you think? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I know why it happens. Um, I mean, Command Prompt's, yeah. almost all of Command Prompt's business now is basically fixing all the dumb things developers do because they code to the ORM. And yeah. don't get me wrong. I mean, I get the point of an ORM, absolutely. You know, and when you're talking about getting to market, getting the job done, it makes things really simple, but once you get to scale, you got to break out of it. 
For sure. Well, I, I, I think it, it teaches, I mean, it allows you to be, you know, basically, I, I like to say like a lot of these Postgres instances are, are operating with an e-break on, you know, like, and they're just like grinding through their emergency break all day long. And, and like, it could be, it could use half the resources if they just did X, Y, or Z, but you have to hire a pro to, to identify those issues mm -hmm. today, I would say, um, that the platforms don't do a very good job of saying this e-break is on or, or like, you know, you, you, there's no, whatever the problem would might be, uh, um, you know, like it, like take indexes is a simple example, you know, uh, Heroku doesn't send me an email when it recognizes the fact that, Hey, your database is really, really slow. These queries are slow because you're missing an index. Right. Uh, and it, and it easily could, you know, but, uh, so I, I think that that's like, um, the reality is most of these things are not just not using advanced features, but they're using the basic features very poorly. And, and it's only once you get to scale and have a, an outage or some major problems that you, do you suddenly start to, um, but I'll tell you what, not first, the first thing you do is just like, let's just double the resources, see if that fixes it. And right. it does, you know, give us more CPUs, <laughs> more can... RAM, more disk. Let's see what happens. Yeah. All you did you was extend, double... extend the runway of pain. <laughs> yeah. And you, and these, you know, there's so many CPUs and, you know, so much uh, RAM now that you can double about, you know, six times before you <laughs> run out of the computer uh, sizing. <laughs> and then, no, I mean, time, yeah. And when you get there, though, and the thing is the pain, although I, I have no problem with the philosophy of, okay, it's slower ad resources, right? Yeah. Sometimes that it, you know, you got to run your business. You got to make money. You got to pay employees. I understand. But there's also a ceiling where you have to take a moment and say, look, if I have to do this one more time, we're going to go over a cliff, <laughs> right? Yeah. Bring someone in and, and the people that actually know this stuff underneath and say, look, if you do yeah. this, I'll take this. I mean, and this, this is like an every week occurrence for command prompt. Com client yeah. comes in, great client. Been with them, you know, for a long time. They're like, we have this five minute query. Can you fix it? And we'll spend yeah. a day on it with various things, but all of a sudden it runs in, you know, 30 seconds versus five minutes. Right. And they're yeah. just blown away. They think it's magic. And it, right. it's not. It's just this is our expertise, domain expertise. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, and, and you're gonna solve. Yeah, in solving that one query, you probably made everything else quicker too. Yeah. Well, sure, because it, everything know. else isn't waiting on the whatever that query's doing, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now uh, everyone knows that Lindsay's uh, our producer, um, and you had mentioned to her that you think that Postgres extensions are generally undercelebrated. Yeah. Um, I would agree. To some extent, I mean, I, th I think that through time, there's some de facto extensions that are kind of like, why aren't you running this? Um, yeah. But what what do you mean by that? What is it? I mean, obviously, Timbo has a vested interest in this idea, but what sure. is it? That's right. Well, yeah. So I think that um, it's just unknown. Like I said earlier, like I, the quality of any extension is 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 completely unknown to me. Like I don't know. How many people are using it? If I'm new, if I'm, you know, like, if I just, like, a lot of people are just, they just learn about extensions and they're like, whoa, there's a bunch of extensions. What do they all do? You know, and, and it's really hard to, to know, like, what's the, well, I don't know. You tell me, what's the top extension? Maybe you can say, like, 
we've seen X deployments, you know, you could run some statistical analysis that say, at least within the command prompt community, you know, which extensions are most popular, but you probably haven't done that. Or if you have done that, it's not like live and on your fingertips, you know, right. so that uh, you could tell me which ones are getting more popular, which ones are dropping in popularity. Like, and so we want to do, we want to do that. Uh, if, if there's a, a fast rising extension, that's interesting. Like, I, here's a great example, like PG Vector. You know, Vector I knew you were going to bring that one up. Hot. You knew I was, yeah. I did, and like, I did. I, yeah, it's, it's like, I, I said, like, is it 10 times slower than Pinetone? Is it half the speed of Pinetone? You know, like, who's done that work? Who, I mean, some people have built this this thing, um, and that's hard. You know, it's like hard to build technology. And, and like, the problem with open source is you don't have a product team to, like, to glorify the work you've done, you know, which is what like these, these tech companies have, they spend maybe half their money in the beginning on, on building a, a, um, a, a bit of technology. And then they spend the other half of their money, like selling it, you know, marketing it, um, supporting it, you know, writing guides and tutorials for it. And so I just think it's going to be true of any open source project. They, they don't, they don't have that, that, that halo of, of help. And so, um, I think it'd be great if if that if we could provide that in some way to to some of these so, potentially great projects. Yeah, who knows? You know, in in one way though, I mean, because you you keep bringing up you know you don't know the quality, so on and so forth. I mean, I mean, you just described Linux as a whole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no way that you know Ubuntu is testing every single package they have available. Right, they have a core set that they test, and the rest of them. That's why there's contributed modules, and they're relying a lot on the lift of Debian, for example, and they're relying a lot on just the general acceptance of the code as something usable throughout the whole Linux ecosystem. Yeah. Now, in your situation, you're kind of doing the same thing, but the ecosystem isn't nearly as mature. Yeah. Well, in some ways, yeah, you're, it's true that it's, it's not mature in some ways. But on the other hand, like some of these guys have raised millions of dollars to build a Postgres extension. So, sure. you know. Well, you, you uh, think of like time uh, scale? Well, uh, I was thinking uh, uh, I was thinking of Ferret, actually. Oh, okay. You yeah. Know, like Ferret's ra raised, they've raised some money and, and they're building this thing. Um, and it's probably pretty good, you know, but like um, they're on their own. You know, they're on their own. Uh, like is edb helping them is crunchy helping them is amazon google uh anybody any of the big players in postgres helping them well not that i you know, know but i mean i've managed, talked to them managed services yeah of course yeah but i'm saying like the managed services aren't celebrating ferret db and I, I again like first of all we've got to figure out is it celebratable you know like someone's got to like go and do an assessment of it and and try it and, but I, I just think like if i can build a platform where ferret can be celebrated and and uh and, and easily you know one click deployed you know uh that would be and maybe ferret's not the perfect example you know there's like the more money you raise the more independent you want to be you know but there's it's just a sliding scale there uh and, and so, so somewhere there's a sweet spot of extensions that are great but nobody knows that they're great and I'd love to identify them and productize them, basically build them into a, a single platform that um, someone who wants to do Postgres++, you know, has a place to get that because right now it doesn't exist anywhere.
Well, I do think that, I mean, just like any healthy ecosystem, uh, competition is good. Um, especially if it's positive competition, right? There's no, I mean, there's so much money to be made. I I think that finding ways for people within the ecosystem to work together where it makes sense is obviously a plus. Um, You know, the ultimate VC funded, you know, organization would be Enterprise DB, right? I mean, they've been funded and reverse merged and funded and reverse merged and everything that they had to do to continue to get where they're going now. Um, but they're all, you know, they're, they're a little different because, and this isn't to take away from their contributions. They clearly contribute. They're the number one contributor to PostgreSQL.org, right? So I don't want to take away from that, but they're a closed source company. I mean, hands down, they're a closed source company. Whereas someone like a ferret, they're an open source company. You yourself are saying that the core is going to be open source. That's an open source thing. Um, I think there's a lot of value there because once you make something open source, your competition is also your partner. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and like, uh, cloud, uh, yeah, cloud native, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, EDB has some stuff open source. Yeah. I, I, I agree that probably the, the bulk of it is, but like, for example, we've been talking with them about their, their Postgres operator, uh, cloud native PG, yeah. you know, and adopting that and partnering up on that. So I think where we can partner with these guys, we will, um, uh, I want to, you know, we don't want to just, you know, uh, you know that, that that those are moves in the right direction. We want to celebrate and support that stuff. But our core, well, I think here's another example: like master, master, you know, multi-master replication. Mm-hmm. They're on the opposite side of that, and you know, they acquire again. Like I'm, I'm coming to this, and I'm just hearing like the legends of what's happened in the past because I was not paying attention to Postgres ecosystem. Yeah. But like Second Quadrant had some had some multi-master stuff. They got mm-hmm. acquired, got shut down, and that was a different era of edb i'm sure and and maybe if it was if edb was buying that in 2023 maybe they do it a different way but the bottom line was like i just think in open source we need to have horizontal scalability uh with multi-master and postgres so that you can have two nodes that are both doing the, the a job you know again i know you can sort of do it with 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 um you know with sharding and uh partitioning and all that kind of stuff but i just uh, from a simplicity standpoint, I think it'd be really cool if I could deploy a Postgres, deploy a pair for it. One of them goes down. That's okay. Everything goes over here. The other one pops back up and, and like you have just higher reliability, higher uptime. And that's a dream I have for Postgres for not just big deployments, but small deployments, you know? It's an interesting, so you're right. So second quadrant had what was called BDR. And yeah. BDR is actually open source. You can go to it right now and get it. Uh, and then yeah. when they made BDR3, that was closed source because they re-architected it knowing the limitations of what they'd learned. And then yeah. EDB bought them. And they still have BDR, but it's still you know closed source. Yeah. Uh, the most latest rendition, and it would be similar to your idea on open source, would be PG Edge, right? They have yeah. taken their investment and they're putting that into their new version of BDR, which is based on the old version that was open source. Yep. And their version so got the is, license problem. Well, it's open core. Yeah, it's not open yeah. source now. Well, now open core would imply that your open that the core of your business is open source, but I wouldn't even call it open. Again, if we're talking about open source, to be open core means you have to have open source in your core, but they have 
uh, well, you know, something that we couldn't use. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. There's something you couldn't use. Um, it's it's yeah. uh, they maybe with permission. It's like yeah. the confluent license. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we thought about using the confluent license too, but we we just decided like it's just not worth it. It just creates ill will with the wrong people. You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't. It creates. It does have some protection, but um, I just think like. To me, if I can't use it, I'm going to create the open source alternative to your thing, you know? Like, that's that's what so, I'll do. Uh, <laughs> you said master to master, you know, active, active, and that's kind of a, yeah. one of your dreams. Now, this is an interesting problem because as long as I have been doing this, I think I've run into one problem that active, active would solve. Yeah. Well, I I just think like uptime, like if you wanted to install a new extension that requires a restart, you're get you're taking a little downtime, right? With sure. that with present day Postgres. And like a lot of other services don't work that way. Um in in Kubernetes you can run like multiple replicas of a service and um instead of like you know, giving two CPUs to one node, you can give one CPU to two nodes, and it's just more resilient that way. You know, if one of them falls over, the service doesn't go away. Um, so that's, I mean, that's it's really just an uptime, an uptime thing for me is that um, I want to be able to restart Postgres every day. You know, if if we want to, without without creating downtime issues. Well, now there's definitely you've de- definitely got an argument there. I mean, it's easy enough to create the five nines on a failover scenario. The hard part for Postgres is bringing back up the other node. Yeah. Right. That's where Postgres falls down is that all of a sudden we have to do that binary backup again, and we have to turn it back into a secondary. And for a moment in time, unless you have three nodes for a moment in time, you are operating at a, not only a reduced capacity, but a reduced availability. So yeah, that is definitely true. a problem. Yeah, and it's not like something we I feel like you said it's not like a huge operational problem because the answer to that is just don't restart it very much, you know. Right. Like there's, a, there's a workaround, <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I said, I, I think it'd be better. It'd be a better world. Like I said, I'd rather have my databases running as as a, a little cluster of machines working together and, and load balancing it by default. Um, and we did that with Airflow too. Like Airflow had this thing called the scheduler that when we came to the project, if the scheduler fell over, no Airflow work was happening. So all the, all your pipelines were, were, were like backing up respectively, you know, and then when you turn them back on, if it was down for an hour, now you're, now it's like might be DDoSing, you know, certain things that, you know, as it's, as it's doing more work than you than it normally does. Um, and it could just be DDoSing a, a Postgres database, you know, that it's trying to, right now as fast as it can to because you know like you didn't build your your pipelines for this failure mode you built it for the normal mode you know so anyway we built we we fixed that so we made it so that the scheduler it's a much easier problem than i think postgres but we built it so the scheduler runs a pair you know two or three schedulers at one time and it just divvies up the work and uh you know it's um it without you having to think about it you know so like i said there's again there's some nice workarounds in postgres that um, I would say are for bigger deployments. I also, I'm just not a fan of like having a, 
a back a hot backup of anything that isn't getting work you know isn't getting any workload onto it it's like god just it's that it seems painful to me uh <laughs> that to, to be paying to have this data replicated and it's just standing by literally 99 point whatever your uptime is it's standing by you know that much percentage of the time well i would hope that you would company. at least be distributing your queries right well hopefully but uh, do people do that naturally? Yeah, maybe they do. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a pretty um, common thing to, to at least yeah, use the read should, hot yeah. standby type stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you brought yeah. up PG Vector. Uh, talk to me about this. You know, you gave a, a general session at Postgres Call for Silicon Valley. And you were just mm -hmm. kind of talking about some of the uh, extensions that kind of interested you. And you brought up PG Vector. Yeah. But one of the things you also brought up, you brought up a couple of them. And they're all written in Rust. Yeah. So is this uh, an affinity for yourself or is it just the technology that they're producing with it? So, yeah, for me, it's, 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 again, it's a company brand thing in some ways, you know, extensions are part of our brand and we've decided Rust is part of our brand. I think Rust is interesting at this point in time for Postgres because it happens to be a, a, the most beloved language. Like if you go check, like, and I don't know how this, how this all works out, but like, People love Rust that use Rust. And so I think there could be a Cambrian explosion of new extensions created because you have, you know, Postgres uh, writing C++. Um, I know that, I don't know what percentage of developers can write C++, but it's definitely a single digit thing, you know, considering how many shitty developers there are in the world. Well, especially uh, since uh, you, it's most people would use C, right? Yeah, well, right, right. C is well, Bottom line is most people are JavaScript or right. Python yeah, developers, sure. you know. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think that like Rust is interesting language. Um, we've we've adopted it at, at our company to be uh, like the first language we go to for anything, um, and that way we can aggregate some Rust knowledge and talent inside the company. Um, and uh, like I said, I think it's uh, it's more a little bit more accessible than than how we've written extensions in the past for Postgres. So I'm hoping that, you know, if we can get this thing going where we're celebrating these celebratable extensions, it'd be pretty cool to me if then suddenly there's two or three times more of those types of extensions uh, coming coming about. So I just think it's a path towards an abundance of riches, you know, for, a, for a, uh, an extension chooser. <laughs> user. Well, you know, this is interesting. First of all, I have nothing against Rust uh, except for yeah. to, to produce Hello World should be print Hello World, okay? And that's not what it is in Rust. Um, that being said, I think there might be a conflict, though. The, you know, one of the things that you're trying to do is bring a certain legitimacy and expectation of quality and performance yeah. productivity to the extensions for Postgres, and yeah. therefore, by by side effect the ecosystem yeah um as awesome as rust is um and i know a lot of people that are very uh passionate about it uh, there's largely a, a disconnect between uh, a lack of rust leadership in the project and then there's a separate entity called the rust foundation and then it, it, there's not a, a whole it's not confidence inspiring the Rust yeah. project leadership is anything yeah. but confidence inspiring. I mean, I definitely I saw some stuff on Twitter about this 
like in the past few days. I don't know, maybe it was already talked about. Well, that. that's what brought it up, but it, it, that's not the only yeah, incident yeah. of it, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so to me, like, again, I, I, I'm just going by what the developers think and not necessarily what the the uh, the leadership squabbles maybe, you know, like, uh, you know, so um, I, I, I just don't know what the, I mean, obviously the alternative could be C, but um, uh, I don't know. Like, if, if, if Rust doesn't win, there'll be, I know that there's already, like, you know, spinoff attempts. I forget, Crab Lang, and there's, like, yeah. you know, there's people trying to, to do a new thing, uh, and if, if Rust, if if Rust the 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 team fails, then something like that'll take over, and it'll probably work as well, you know. So, um, well, I mean, yeah, I think I, from an open source perspective, I think that the problem that you run into in something that the Rust, and when I say the Rust leadership, I'm specifically talking about the Rust project. Yeah. They had, and yes, there was a big hoopla. In fact, I even had people that texted me over the weekend or like, have you seen this? You know, yeah. you know, open source nerd gossip, right? Um, yeah. the, uh, and there, from a mature project perspective, um, the moment you become, if you're going to do this open source thing and you want to be in leadership, there are certain requirements to do that and to do it right. Now there are variances of what right is. There's a little bit that's subjective, but proper communication, transparency, uh, you know, what is your decision-making process and all of the major open source projects, even the old school ones like Postgres have figured this out and they've stumbled yeah. as they've done it, but they figured it out. And generally speaking, it works. You know, Apache foundation yeah. has their incubation program and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that the moment Mozilla like spun it out, it, it, it it's the project itself is just it's catering in on it, the cratering in on itself, and it would give me pause as a company to be like, if my developers came to me and said, "Look, we're going to deploy this thing in Rust," and as someone who's educated in this, I would say, "Hey, look." I mean, I know Rust is great. I know you love it. I know it's productive. I know that it's memory safe and all this, but here's the reality of it. I have zero indication that there's not going to be 17 forks with 17 different indicators or nuances over the next couple of years until the melting pot comes back together and figures it out. I feel like that's going to be so slow moving that it's like, it's not going to affect my company's journey. I mean, it could, right? If it blows up in some very spectacular way. But the question is, what happens to rest the computer language if, again, I, I don't know, I barely know the, the drama that you talked about, but let's say that a bunch of people leave, like, isn't that a good thing? You know, it probably could be a good thing for the rest if, if, the, if the toxic people left the, the project, you know? Well, I, um, I think I would agree with you if it, if it was the toxic people that were leaving. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that we'll is see. like I don't yeah, know. I, Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say like I I'll have to do some more research because I don't really know. But I like the, the 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 drama from this weekend seemed very. I was like I had to reread re it like six times to try to understand. You know, someone's keynote got demoted to a regular talk, and they were promised a keynote. Um, but you know, like it, there was a bunch of like 
there was clearly something behind the scenes that weren't wasn't being told. But like I, you know, I, I had to read someone summarize summarize it with ChatGPT, and I read through it. I'm like, you know, like talks get demoted. Uh, you know, I, and honestly, the topic that they were talking about, I had it seemed very like detailed, technical. You know, not keynote word. But, you know, so like some of the anyway. The point is like. I'm not sure what happened behind the scenes. I think the behind the scenes stuff is what's really happened the drama there. But the, you know, if you if you demoted someone from talk A to talk B because of any reason at your conference, uh, actually, if you would have told me, hey, you're, you know, I know I, I know I sold you a keynote, but uh, you know, like I need to drop you to this because your topic is just not quite what we need. I feel like I understand. You know, I wouldn't be happy necessarily, but I don't know. I, I just get. Sounds like there's Rust leadership. There was a conference, and obviously, like project leadership and conference leadership are not always on the same page, you know, about things. In well, I mean, system. I can tell you, without getting into the soap opera of it, I think the core problem yeah. for Rust in that is that there's the Rust Foundation, there's the Rust Project, yeah. and then there's Rust Conf, and they're all separate yeah. but related. Um, in I mean, Postgres, talking similar, about similar issues, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. But I mean, yeah. Postgres Conf. The difference with Postgres Conf is if we sell you a keynote, you're getting a keynote. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that. And if you are given a keynote, like with uh, Leah or Lita, right? We're not going to demote you without talking to you ahead of time, right? I, I think the issue, sure. the reason people exploded in this other issue is that it happened. It wasn't Russ Kampf going to this guy and saying, hey, can we talk about how we can make this work because of whatever, yeah. right? It was like all of a sudden yeah. it was demoted and then he was let know, right? Which is just yeah. bad form. Yeah, yeah I, agree. Um, but, I agree. But my concern isn't that so much. My concern is there seems to be a pattern of the Rust project leadership creating a sense of instability within that technology and that to me is the bigger yeah. concern yeah i'll check into it i'll check into it i i, I personally just uh yeah we've been kind of uh not not connected at the the high level to we're just, we're just users you know sure. just, just users <laughs> you know we're not involved at all at the high level there so um but it's it's a yeah it's a good point i mean i think and i think it's um it's a tricky thing to deal with across these technical, you know, like, again, you know, a lot of, a lot of, comp a lot of technologies have been beset by like drama, you know, mm -hmm. at their conference and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, well, hopefully we can, uh, I guess I don't, I don't think rest as an idea is going to go away uh, just because it's seems to be doing well, you know, uh, if it's a different project, a spinoff project, that's got better leadership, you know, I'm happy to, I'm happy to switch to that if it wins, you know, if, uh, sure. but, um, I think for me, like my, you know, we're moving so fast that like that stuff happens. I just feel like over, like you said, over a year, I, even like my sequel, like the demise of my sequel versus Postgres, it just seemed to me like was very slow motion. I don't know if you felt slow motion to you, but um, well, I mean, to me, my, my sequel was never even a player, right? It's not about you. Yeah. For me, it's, I don't care if my sequel has 10 times the number of installed users, right? I care about how are yeah. those users being taken care of and how is their data being represented in terms of security? 
asset compliance and all that. Yeah. So to me, MySQL was never even a player in my space, right? It's yeah. just kind of a different thing. Yeah. Well, um, to like the ORM users of the world, though, like if I'm just an ORM, I, I use a, tra you know, uh, a generic transactional database behind it. It used to be like, you know, MySQL or Postgres, sure. you know, most things supported both, but somehow just over time. And again, like I didn't really understand it until I came to Postgres, how much like MySQL has been dropping, you know, but it's just been years and years and years of that slowly, not fast, you know, because as far as I know, there could be more MySQL instances in the world than there are Postgres. I don't know if anyone knows what the answer is there, but I don't, uh, I, I don't think I, there's I, any I, way to tell at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you think it about it like this, Postgres there is one, is there, there is one thing, right? The number one installed software in the world is what? It's WordPress. WordPress supports MySQL, not Postgres. Yeah, that's right. So Therefore. there, there is that. <laughs> it's got a bunch there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got a couple final questions, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, you know, the Postgres ecosystem has ebbed and flowed and come and gone uh, for, you know, well, since 1997. Uh, who do you think is going to lead the charge? I mean, obviously, the I mean, actually, I'm not. I don't want to put ideas. Who do you think is going to lead the charge of Postgres development in the future? I don't know. I've, I've got, uh, you're saying like, um, which organizations are going to have the most committers? Is that? Well, is yeah, that who, because it, it, or at least yeah. patch submitters, right? Because it's the people that are attributing yeah. the code that are going to yeah. ultimately determine the direction of the code. Yeah. I'm just not connected enough to have a perspective there. Other than, other than, than uh, I kind of like the fact that right now it feels like, um, well, t I'll tell you, like in, in Astronomer's case with Airflow, we ended up having, say, 20 of the top 40 contributors to Airflow were working from our company because we were paying people to do it, right? Like, so um, in the Postgres, you know, I, I don't know what percentage of committers are getting paid to do it, but it's probably, is it all of them, would you say? Like, is it, it, It's darn near close to all of them. Yeah, yeah. So, um I don't know who's the highest bidder then I guess for their talent. It might be the question, you know, like, well, you know, that's an interesting problem. So let's take crunchy. For example, crunchy yeah. had a lot of committers. Amazon came in and said, we'll pay you more. And now Amazon has almost all of those committers. They even took some from Microsoft. Amazon is very quickly. I mean, outside of enterprise DB, Amazon, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if in the next three years, Amazon is the number one contributor to PostgreSQL.org. Uh, okay. Just because they have the capital, right? Now, there are other companies that have the capital, but those other companies haven't shown, I guess, a desire or a want to be that involved, right? Yeah. Whereas, well, I think, I think, yeah, I was going to say, like, to me, I mean, you, there's not, so, so EDB or those crunchy, crunchy SVC backed, aren't they? They're not like oh yeah, they're, they're maybe the later SVC stage. Back, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they can't give people a ton of equity now. You know, later stage VCs, you know, later stage VC backed companies can't really um, give what 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 a company like like ours could do. You know, like I could, uh, for example, you know, I guess this is my opportunity to pitch the the committers, but like, you know, I can give you a, a good chunk of Tembo. If you're a committer that wants to come work with me, 
I can give you a big piece of this company and, and, and invest over four years, you know, and, um, uh, if we're successful, you get to, you get to really have a big outcome, you know, in, in addition to whatever your salary may be. And so like, I think we can attract some people like that. So I, I I'm going to say who's going to own them in the future. It's going to be the big, com- the big three cloud or startups, you know, that have equity that they can try to, Again, the real question is, are these people tempted or interested in working hard for equity and all that kind of stuff? Like, we'll we'll see. I think a few can be, could be, hopefully will be. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, but I think mostly it's going to be the big clouds, the big the big companies. It's a bidding war, and uh, but I'm willing to pay a lot a lot for the for committers, uh, just like um, you know, well, you know, our CTO just came from Microsoft, you know, uh, so we were able to, 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 to reverse that trend, I guess, of, uh, <laughs> of people going to the big clouds, but maybe Microsoft's losing a bunch of them. I'm not sure. Well, that's an interesting point, uh, is that, and I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. I mean, from my perspective, I would much prefer to see, you know, 250, 20 to 50 person in, uh, companies working together for the greater good of Postgres uh, versus yeah. Postgres being driven by essentially, right now, the majority of Postgres is driven by EDB, Fujitsu, Crunchy, yeah. and Amazon. I mean, and that represents probably a 70% of the development, right? If not more. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that that's a bad thing. There's actually some good to come with that because you can move a little faster. Um, but on the other hand, we already did it, you know, it used to be, well, I mean, a good example is, you know, back when ISP, you were building your web company, right? And ISPs, there used to be thousands of ISPs, right? Thousands. Yeah. Now there's essentially yep. two. Your ISP is either Starlink or your cable company, generally speaking. Right. Right. That's right. Um, so, and I don't know that that's a good thing. I, I think that that hampers the ability for people to truly experience what Postgres could be, um, if there was, if it was a you know a wider distribution of people building this thing, yeah, and that's where. So to me, I'm 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 basically thinking of it as a as a as a second ring. You know, I'm thinking. I guess let's take Saturn as an example. You know, you got Postgres as the core, but there's these interesting rings around it. What are they? <laughs> what are they made of? Are they valuable. So we're I think if you take those rings in aggregate, you know, that's, that's, that to me is an opportunity that we're going to try to leverage uh, and, and try to support. Um, and, you know, like I said, if we can make it into the, into the, onto the planet someday, great. If not, there's a lot of work to be done out there. Um, uh, there's a lot of open source work in Postgres that isn't in the core, you know? Oh, and I don't know how many commit, if we, if we like talk to total commits, you know, across, the core versus the the non-core community projects. It's probably more math on the outside. You know, uh, I have to do some math to figure that out because I've got a big database of these projects. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's why I, that's why I'm excited about like getting involved and in trying to help organize that the the community projects in Postgres. Um, yeah, I would definitely agree. Some of the most interesting things, and this is due to what Postgres has done. So I don't want to take away from yeah. PostgreSQL.org's work, but the most interesting things that are happening now with PostgreSQL have nothing to do with PostgreSQL.org. Yeah, that's right. 
right? Between but, all but, the extensions, yeah. and, I mean, between Citus and PG Vector and, and even other ones yeah. that you wouldn't even think about, like PG Repack, right? I mean, there's just yeah. some really good stuff out there if you know where to find it. That might yeah. be kind of where you're coming from. So, exactly. yeah. All right. Like well, is there said, anything... I, want, I want to collect some stats on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Is there anything you'd like to like share before we wrap this up? No, I just appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, uh, it's been, it's been a nice conversation. All right, great. Well, with that, this has been more than a refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Our guest was Rye Walker with Timbo. Check it out. Thanks a lot.